Do you know anyone who has been infected with COVID-19? Have you ever wondered if they will ever come up with a vaccine? Are you fearful of getting infected? Did you know that there is an even more fearful disease sweeping the planet right now as we speak? Would you be surprised to find out that there is already an antidote that the majority are unwilling to take. My name is Chris Holland. Join me as I discuss these topics and more. Digging Deeper starts now. My dear friends, I wanna welcome you to Digging Deeper, a program committed to digging deeper into the scripture and through digging deep in the scripture, revealing God's plan for each of us that we might accept what he wants to do in our lives and we might follow him, follow his ways and be prepared for eternal life in heaven. Let's pray together as we begin this program. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to study your Bible And as we study your word, Lord, lead us into an understanding that we might know the truth and the truth would set us free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1999, someone sent a fictitious story to a friend of mine. He recently rediscovered that story and shared it. It's a story that could have been written now, today, as parts of it eerily echo the story we are each living now. I want you to imagine for a moment. Imagine that the day is over, you are driving home, you tune in your radio, and you hear a little blurb about a little village in India where some villagers have died suddenly, strangely, of a flu that's never been seen before. It's not influenza, but three or four men are dead, and it's kind of interesting. They're sending some doctors over there to investigate the problem. You didn't think much about it, but on Sunday, you hear another radio spot Only they say it's not three villagers, it's 30,000 villagers in the back hills of this particular area of India. And then on TV that night, CNN runs a little blurb. People are heading there from the disease center in Atlanta because this disease strain has never been seen before. By Monday morning when you get up, It's the lead story, not just for India. It's Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran. And before you know it, you're hearing this story everywhere, and they're calling it now the mystery flu. The president has made some comment that he and everyone are praying and hoping everything will go well over there. But everyone's wondering, how are we going to contain it? That's when the president of France makes an announcement that shocks Europe. 
He's closing their borders. No flights from India, Pakistan, or any other country where this thing has been seen. And then that night you're watching a little bit of the news before you go to bed and your jaw hits your chest when a weeping woman is translated from a French news program into English saying, there's a man lying in a hospital in Paris dying of a mystery flu. It has come to Europe. She sobs and panic strikes. As best they could tell, once you get it, you have it for about a week and you don't know it. Then you have four days of unbelievable symptoms and then you die. Britain closes its borders, but it's too late. And it's Tuesday morning when the President of the United States makes the following announcement. Due to a national security risk, all flights to and from Europe and Asia have been canceled. If your loved ones are overseas, I'm sorry, they cannot come back until we find a cure for this pandemic. Within four days, the United States has been plunged into unbelievable fear. People are selling little masks for their faces. People are talking about, what if it comes to this country? And preachers, preachers are saying on TV, it's the scourge of God. And then you hear that two women are lying in a Long Island hospital, dying of the mystery flu. Within hours, it seems, this thing sweeps across the country. People are working around the clock trying to find an antidote. But you know, today, we are facing more than just an epidemic. The world is in desperate need of more than just a vaccine. And to discover what that is, Let's take a virtual journey back in time. Let's go back to ancient Jerusalem and listen in on a conversation that took place almost 2,000 years ago. Thankfully for us, the conversation was recorded in the Gospel of John. And as we listen to this story, we will discover someone who came asking questions. He had a problem for which he needed an antidote for, but like so many other people, he didn't even know he had the disease. Let's start right at the beginning of the conversation, which we find in the book of John, John chapter 3 and verse 1. John chapter 3 and verse 1. What does the Bible say? Let's read John 3, beginning in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus was a wealthy, well-educated, and powerful ruler in Israel. He was well-respected by the people, and he was a descendant of the patriarch Abraham. And he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were a political party in ancient Palestine. They were known for insisting that the law of God be observed as the scribes interpreted that law. One of the distinctive features was their commitment to observing the law. 
Apart from God's law, they outlined 613 laws that they believed that by following them, they would be seen as living a pious and well-disciplined life. And they felt that they needed to isolate themselves from other more common people who did not keep the law as they did. Now, despite this, the Pharisees and scribes were quite popular among the people because unlike the Sadducees, who were mostly rich landowners and powerful priests, many of the Pharisees were simply ordinary people who were making their best efforts to keep the law. Nicodemus was also a member of the Sanhedrin, the highest ruling body in Judaism. Now that we know a little bit about Nicodemus, let's continue with the story. John 3 and verse 2 says this, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus came at night to see Jesus. And he most certainly came literally at nighttime. But the syntax of that word night in the original Greek reveals that he also came in a nighttime-ish sort of way. He came under the cover of darkness. And one of the reasons he did was because Nicodemus wanted to investigate who Jesus was. He did think that Jesus was more than a common man because Nicodemus refers to him as rabbi, a term of honor. Nicodemus, like all good Jews, was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. The Jewish expectations were that the Messiah would be a political figure from the line of King David who would save their nation from any other ruling powers and then they would be delivered in particular from the oppressive Roman rule. And then they would reign in eternity. The Pharisees were looking for a human solution. They were looking for a political figure, a hero to lead them out of the turmoil that they were now experiencing. He saw the signs, that is Nicodemus, he saw the signs that Jesus was doing and was hopeful that someone that had this much power could be the very Messiah that they were looking for. Nicodemus was merely greeting Jesus and maybe even approaching him with a bit of flattery, but Jesus ignores all of that and responds to Nicodemus in verse 3, by saying these words. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This statement surprised Nicodemus, and he acted a bit confused. The dialogue continues in verses 4 through 8. Nicodemus asks, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom 
of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus was looking for a temporal king. Nicodemus was looking for a temporal answer. Nicodemus was looking for a political hero to save the Jews from their Roman oppression. Jesus, however, seeks to reveal to Nicodemus what is really needed, and he tells him that the solution to deliverance is not found in being set free from the Romans, but being born again. For as intelligent as Nicodemus is, he's having a very hard time understanding what Jesus is saying. And verse 9 simply says, Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? As Nicodemus continues to ponder this, Jesus goes on to say this in John 3 and verse 10. Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak that, that what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus continues to draw Nicodemus' attention away from political heroes, away from human solutions, and he says, there is a solution, Nicodemus, but that solution is a heaven-born solution. Jesus is about to tell him an earthly example and says, if I tell you about earthly things and you don't even believe, how can I begin to tell you of heavenly solutions? then Jesus compares this with a story that Nicodemus most certainly would have been familiar with. He draws his attention back to the Old Testament wanderings of ancient Israel. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is the solution that Jesus offers to Nicodemus. He was telling Nicodemus, that he actually already had the answer. It was found in the first five books of Moses. And you see, as a ruler in Israel, and as a Pharisee in particular, Nicodemus most certainly would have had this memorized. And this particular story that Jesus was referring to is found in Numbers chapter 21. The children of Israel had become discouraged and they began to doubt that God was leading them. And they began to doubt his purpose for them. And they began to complain. 
God was miraculously providing their food, their safety, and in Numbers chapter 21 and verse 5, they go as far as to say, our soul loathes this worthless bread. Speaking, of course, of the manna. They were saying that God's provision for them was worthless. My friends, how often do we complain about the miraculous provisions of God and how he makes those provisions in our own lives? But the story continues in verse 6. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. The Lord, wanting to reveal himself to the people, began to lift his protective hand from the people. He had provided protection from these fiery serpents, but they did not recognize his protection. And as he lifted that protection, the serpents started biting them, and people died. In Numbers 21, verses 7 to 9, we find out what was the result. Numbers 21, verses 7 to 9. The Bible says, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. The people began to understand what was wrong when they said, we have sinned. The very core of their complaining was a sin problem. It was a sin problem. Sin leads to death. Sin is painful. But you know, friends, in this current age, we have difficulty understanding and grasping the depth of the reality of sin. The reality is, is that sin kills. You see, the manifestations of all that is happening in our society today is really merely a symptom. It is a symptom of the deeply rooted problem of sin. Societies around the world accept sin and we have become dulled to the reality of sin. We have embraced sin. We have celebrated hatred. We have celebrated immorality. We have celebrated the very breaking of God's heart and his law. Sin, my dear friends, is devastating. 1 John 3, 4 tells us that sin is the transgression of God's law. But there is a solution. There is a solution. The serpent of Numbers 21 represented sin, and this act of Moses looked forward. 
It looked forward to the time where Jesus, the Messiah, would be made sin for us. The instructions that Moses gave the people were very simple. Look and live. In the original Hebrew, the word look in this verse doesn't mean to give a glance. It actually means to study or to examine and understand, to consider, to inspect. Look and live is not just a mere glance. It is not a fleeting moment. It is actually to look, to accept, and be transformed by what you see. My dear friends, sin kills, and the penalty of sin is death. Someone must pay that penalty, and if we are not willing to look to the one who has paid that price and who will lead to life, we must ask the question, who will pay the penalty for that sin? If we are not willing to look to him and live, we will pay for that sin ourselves. Moses pled with the people to look and live. Look to the serpent, which was the representation of the eventual Messiah, Jesus, and he will bring life. Look at the representation of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and live. But my dear friends, we have We have continually become desensitized to sin in the 21st century. We do not sin for what it, we do not see sin for what it really is. We have lost sight of what sin is, and in so doing, we have lost sight of who Jesus really is. This is what Jesus was reminding Nicodemus about. Casting aside the law has led our very society to spiral out of control. Jesus predicted that this would happen in Matthew 24 and verse 12. He said that lawlessness will abound, that the love of many will grow cold. It will grow cold like the ember in a fire that eventually loses its glow and becomes dark. Jesus was showing Nicodemus that the biggest problem he had was not the Roman Empire, but it was sin. Now, later on in the book of John in chapter 12 and verse 32, quoting back to his time with Nicodemus, Jesus said, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to me. But going back to John chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, we've already read those verses. I want to further add that we might understand, my dear friends, the Son of Man came down so that he could save people from their sin. The Son of Man came down then he could, on your behalf, be lifted up. You see, if Jesus would not have come down, he could have not been lifted up. And if Jesus, my dear friends, was not lifted up, that means that when we go down to the grave, we go down to the grave permanently. But my dear friends, 
Jesus came down so we might ascend later when Jesus comes again. Jesus came down and died the death of the cross where he was lifted up that you and I may be lifted up in his glory and transformed by his grace. Here's a question worth considering. The answer to which we may not fully understand. Why would Jesus do this? Why would he do this for you? Why would he do this for me? 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Why did God do this? It's a simple word. Love. God loves you. God loves me. And in the very first question of the Bible, the love of God for us is revealed. You'll remember Adam and Eve sinned after they had transgressed the law of God in the Garden of Eden by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God, though, didn't leave them to wallow in their sinfulness. God came and asked a question, and that question is recorded in Genesis 3 and verse 9. And the question is simply this, where are you? Where are you? It is the question that God asks in every book of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Where are you? It is not a question of your geographical location. It is a question from God about your spiritual orientation. Where are you? And my dear friends, because God wants to reconcile us back to himself because he loves us and because he eventually wants us to be where he is. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, I'm sure verses that you know well say the following, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so God sent his only begotten son. I need to tell you, friends, the words only begotten are not the best translation of the original Greek word monogenes. It really should say the one and only unique one. Jesus who has always been and will always be divinity intertwined and wrapped in humanity, out of love, the Father sent his Son. But why? Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and 21 say the following. What does the Bible say in verses 20 and 21 of 
Romans 5, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through the righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. My dear friends, you were created to live forever. You were created to live forever with God, and it doesn't matter what has happened in your life. It doesn't matter whether you were conceived by accident, whether you were conceived through natural means, whether you conceived through means that are less than desirable. God created you and has a plan for you. He wants to spend eternity with you. Romans 5 8 further emphasizes this point when the Bible says, God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. My dear friends, God doesn't expect love in return from you. He loves you where you are, and he's going to keep loving you because he wants you to be a part of his kingdom. But he gives you the freedom of choice. He gives you the freedom to choose whether you will accept that love or not. Going back to the book of John, John 3, verses 18 to 21. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. God desires that we would come out of the darkness of sin into the light of his healing. But the fundamental problem is that men love darkness. They want to be continually undisturbed in their evil. But in darkness, my dear friends, there is no salvation. However, an even more dangerous problem to have is that there are many of us who really who think we're really good and that if we do enough good things, we're going to be okay and God will accept us. Unfortunately, the Bible is all too clear in Romans 3.23 when it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That all includes you and me. All of us have sinned. My dear friends, we cannot be good enough Because even in our goodness or the good deeds which we do, there are wrong motives. And because we have all sinned, we have a major problem on our hands. Because the Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But we have a hard time grasping that. And so what do we do? We embrace sin. We celebrate sin. We make movies about sin. But someone needed to pay the price for sin. Someone needed to pay the wage. My dear friends, no matter how good you are, it's not and never will be enough. Only Jesus and his sacrifice for you 
by him being lifted up. He paid the penalty. He he paid the perfect price. He led the perfect life and was the perfect sacrifice so we might live. The prophet Isaiah wrote about this very thing in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, verses 3 to 6. Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 6. The Bible, speaking of Jesus, says this, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Did you hear those sobering words? Those words describe the depth to which sin causes pain. Those words, despised, rejected, sorrow. Grief, smitten, wounded, bruised, chastisement, stripes. And what does Isaiah, what does Isaiah say our response is? To go astray and look away. Jesus says, look and live. The Apostle Paul in the book of Hebrews said these words in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What does it say? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, looking unto Jesus, look and live. My dear friends, if you want to be an individual who will live for Jesus Christ, we must look and live. Romans 5 and verse 15 is clear. The free gift is not like the offense, for if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many in the midst of sin. We can see the reality of a Savior. We accept the life of Christ as we look and live how do we do this? Romans 10.9 simply says this, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Look and live. The second time that Nicodemus appears in the scriptures 
He's defending Jesus before the council, saying he should get a fair trial. Then when Jesus is ultimately crucified, he honors, Nicodemus honors Jesus by obtaining his body for burial. When all of the disciples who had followed Jesus for three and a half years were hiding for fear of the Jews, Nicodemus publicly expressed his belief in the Messiah. Look and live Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for first the Jew and also for the Greek. Look and live. Look, the Bible says, and live. What will you do? John 19 And verse 5, then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. In almost prophetic fashion, Pilate says, behold, look. And then he gives them the choice. Matthew chapter 27, verses 20 to 22. Tell us about the choice they made that day. Pilate said to them, What shall then I do with this Christ, with this Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all said to him, Let him be crucified. Verse 20 tells us the context. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. My dear friends, My dear friends, the crowds cried out for Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with this Jesus who is called the Christ? And they said, let him be crucified. They had a choice. They had a free choice. And instead of looking and living, they chose the false Messiah. They were tired of being under Roman authority, so they wanted someone to set them free. Barabbas was known to be a murderer. Satan is a murderer. The true Messiah stood before the people. And Pilate says, behold the man. Look and live. But they chose the false Messiah and they chose Barabbas. My dear friend, you are given a choice today to look and live. Look and live. I know it sounds too simple, but that's the ultimate solution that Jesus offers. Look and live. What will you do today? Will you look? Will you live? Will you look into the wonderful face of Jesus and acknowledge that you're not good enough and that you're not smart enough? But Jesus has paid the price. Friends, we can't save ourselves from our sins. There's no political leader that can save us from our sins. There's no political affiliation. There is no hero. There's one. One man and his name is Jesus. He is the only one that can save us. He is the only one that can heal us. He is the only one that can bring deliverance from the certainty of death. I invite you to look to him and live. Do you remember that story 
at the beginning of our program. Let's finish the story. So people were working around the clock, trying to find an antidote to the mystery flu. Then all of a sudden, the news came out. The code has been broken. A cure has been found. A vaccine can be made. It is going to take the blood of someone who hasn't been infected. And so, sure enough, all through the Midwest, through all those channels of emergency broadcasting, everyone is asking to do one simple thing. Go down to your hospital and have your blood type taken. That's all we ask of you. When you hear the sirens go off in your neighborhood, please make your way quickly, quietly, and safely to the hospitals. Sure enough, when you and your family get down there, late that night, there's a long line. They have nurses and doctors coming out and pricking fingers and taking blood and putting labels on it. While you're standing in line, your wife and your children are there, and they're taking your blood type. And they say, wait here in the parking lot, and if we call your name, you can be dismissed and go home. Stand around, scared with your neighbors, wondering, what in the world is going on, and could this be the end of the world? Suddenly, a young man comes running out of the hospital, screaming. He's yelling, and he has a name, and he's waving a clipboard. What? He yells it again, and your son tugs on your jacket and says, Daddy, that's me. But before you know it, they've grabbed your little boy. Wait a minute. Hold it. Look, look, it's it's okay. His blood is clean. His blood is pure. We want to make sure he doesn't have the disease. We think he's got the right type. Your son could save the world. And five agonizing minutes later, out come the doctors and the nurses. And they're crying. And they're hugging one another. And some are even laughing. It's the first time you've seen anybody laugh in a week. And an old doctor walks up to you and says, Thank you, sir. Your son's blood type is perfect. His blood is clean. It's pure. And we can use it to make the vaccine. And as word begins to spread all across the parking lot, it's full of people. And they're screaming and praying and laughing and crying. But then the gray-haired doctor pulls you and your wife aside and he says, may may we speak with you for a moment. We didn't realize that the donor would be a minor and so we need you to sign a consent form. And you take the form and you begin to sign and then you see that the number of pints of blood to be taken is a blank space. You say to that Old doctor, excuse me, how many pints? And that's when the old doctor and his smile fades. He says, we had no idea that it would be a child. We weren't prepared for that. 
But, sir, we need it all. Sir, you, you need to understand, we're talking about saving the world. Please, sign. And you say, but, but can't you give him a transfusion? If we had clean blood, we could. But we don't. Can you just sign? Would you just sign? And so in a numb silence, you sign. And then they say, would you like to have a moment with him before we begin the procedure? I mean, can you walk back? What do you say? You're asking yourself, can you walk back into that room where your little boy is sitting on the table? Where he's saying, Daddy and Mommy, what's going on? Can you take his hands and say, Son, your mommy and I love you. and We would never let anything bad happen to you that this didn't have to be. Do you understand that? And when the old doctor comes back in, he says, sorry, we have to get started right away. People all over the world are dying. Can you leave? Can you walk out while he's saying, dad, mom, dad, why have you forsaken me? And then the next week, when they're having a ceremony to honor your son's death, some people are simply sleeping through it. And some, some don't even come to the ceremony because they go to the lake and, and some people, they come with a pretentious smile and they just pretend to care. Wouldn't you want to jump up and say, my son died for you. Don't you care? My dear friends, is that what God is saying today? My son died. Don't you know how much I care? He gave it all. He gave every last drop of blood for you. Just look to him and live. Will you choose today to look and live? My dear friends, now is the time and today is the day to choose to look and live. My dear friends, we want to we help you in this journey of looking and living. Right now, I want to invite you in whatever media platform you're watching this, right in the comment section, I want to look and live. Or go to awr.org forward slash Bible and there click on I have a question. And there, simply write the words, I want to know how to look and live. Friends, today is the day to choose Jesus Christ.
Will you choose him today? I invite you to make that decision right now. Heavenly Father, I want to pray that you would help each and every individual that is watching this program to look and live. May we stop depending on ourselves. May we stop looking to political leaders. May we look to Jesus and live. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. My dear friends, I want to encourage you. Go to www.awr.org forward slash Bible. And there, I'd invite you to sign up, to register, to be a part of the Unlocking Bible Prophecies family. Register now. Become a part of our Facebook family. Sign up for a Zoom Bible study. And friends, let us continue the journey looking unto Jesus and living for him. God bless you. And may you look and live. enjoyed listening to the end time prophetic events whether you've never before opened a bible or have been studying it all your life you'll gain new insights from this series by looking at revelation and daniel as well as other books of the bible you'll find that the bible itself clearly unlocks the mysteries of bible prophecies this will transform what may feel like a confusing book into something clear and understandable if you want to learn more Bible truth, or ask a Bible question, or perhaps find freedom, healing, and hope in Jesus, please give us a call. Our WhatsApp number is plus We are certain that you'll gain a deeper understanding of Jesus' love for you and emerge with an even closer relationship with Him. For more information, visit us on the web at bible.awr.org or send us an email at bible.awr.org.
आज तुम्हार 